Hello, I'm Ian Rodwell, and welcome to the Linklater's Ideas Foundry, where we talk about and try to unpick the art of working together in the 21st century organisation. From creativity to collaboration, from leading others to looking after ourselves, we explore the skills and the tricks required to thrive in an ever more complex and changeable work environment. And in today's episode, I'll be talking to my colleague Nicola Rawl. Nicola is a learning and development specialist with a background in psychology. And over the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to be talking about one of Nicola's favourite topics, digital well-being. We'll be exploring what exactly it is and why it's relevant to both our work as well as our non-work lives. We delve into the effects of digital and social media on our cognitive processing and look at some practical ways to ensure that we're in control of our devices and not the other way around. So Nicola, welcome to the Ideas Foundry. Hi Ian, thanks for having me. Well, thank you, thank you for joining us. Um, and let's start, let's start right at the beginning. So, so what is digital well-being and I guess what prompted your interest in it? Yeah, so, so digital well-being or, or digital resilience is about having a healthy relationship with your device. So not being a slave to it, not being dependent on it, but knowing how and when to get the most out of your device. And my interest in it it started when when it was starting to become quite mainstream in the media, but it was from a personal aspect, actually, I was quite interested in it. I was struggling with headaches from staring at screens for too long, and I wanted to look at ways of reducing that screen time. And as I was going through sort of research and having a look at it, I thought, actually, I, I bet a lot of other people would be interested in this as well. And, and you know, we, we've run this, this session within Linklaters, we run it uh, outside, and it has really resonated with, with a number of different people. But I guess one thing we should sort of uh, address early on is, I know some people are going to be thinking, well, look, I, I get it in terms of using work devices, but stuff I do outside of work, be it, I don't know, Netflix or social media, surely that, that can't sort of affect how I do my job? Well, you know I'm going to tell you it is. Because using our, our, our devices and how it's most relevant to us is is thinking about the impact it has on our attention, which of course is very important for work, uh, but also considering how our devices are affecting our mental health and our sleep, which ultimately impacts our, our work. So all these things, all these things are kind of interlinked, and you yeah. know, just as we would, you know, sort of pay attention to our to our physical health and everything else, that actually sort of the, the digital health um, is is crucial as well. Absolutely. Um, and I, I suppose the other thing we should just be careful of as well, in case people thinking start thinking that we that we are sort of luddites, is that we're, we're not saying that all technology is bad. No, absolutely not. It does all sound a little bit doom and gloom, doesn't it? But uh, I'll be the first to say that I I love technology. I I love watching Netflix. I love uh, FaceTiming my sister who lives abroad in Canada. But it's about thinking about how you can be more mindful about when and how you use your devices. So so Nicola, one one thing I'm I'm really curious about, you know, what, what is it that makes it difficult for us to stop why can't we resist swiping down our activity feed or consuming yet another episode from uh, from a streaming channel yeah um 
it's that classic bottomless feed, isn't it? I think we've all, we all might have heard of the term by now that uh, we are lacking these stopping cues. So if you think about non-digital sources of, of media, so for example, a, a newspaper, a book, um, a letter, they all have an end, right? Whereas we have all been on Twitter, Instagram, and, and or even news apps where you just can keep on scrolling or there's another thing that you can click on and we are lacking the stopping cue of the end of a chapter, the end of a newspaper article or or an entire newspaper and we keep on going. I like that. So it's almost like the the material world is finite and the digital world is is infinite and that's what kind of hooks us in. We can't resist following the following the trail to an end which actually never appears. Um, Absolutely. And especially when you think about the amount of time you have on Netflix to stop the next episode from playing. I think you get maybe about three seconds to kind of run towards the TV remote or or the computer to stop it from from hooking you into that next episode. Yeah, you've got to be pretty agile, haven't you, with your your (laughs) kind of remote skills to to, to stop it from running. Yeah. And... And so, Nicola, what, what does the research show that this is doing to our, our cognitive processing? Okay, so this is the bit I, I love. Uh, but our cognitive thinking um, capacity is limited. So we can only have a certain amount of stuff in our brain at one time. And it's been shown, of course, before that redirecting your conscious attention to your phone for example, you know, when you know an alert has popped up, significantly reduces your performance and interestingly, your enjoyment of that task as well. But I want to talk specifically about another study done where the authors wanted to test whether the mere presence of your smartphone, so not even getting a notification, would impact on your task performance. So what they did was bring some students uh, into a testing room Uh, and asked them to complete a cognitive task. And there were three conditions, and they were asked to either have their phone on the side of the testing area, so in clear view, leave it in their bag or pocket wherever they walked in with it, or lastly, leave it outside the testing room in a, a locker. And the authors found, really interestingly, that the closer the phone was to you, the lower your performance on the cognitive task. And this was despite, one, people reporting that they didn't think about their phone during the experiment and that they didn't think their phone impacted their performance. (laughs) So if you're sitting there smugly thinking that your phone right next to you doesn't affect your performance, think again. And I always always think it's it's funny when we talk about this um, when we're doing training and especially back in the day when we had people in the room you could see them all there with their phones in the desk and when we get to that bit they kind of start to look at them um, suspiciously but I, I guess there's another point here isn't there about you know what what people have been experiencing over the over the last year and you know an issue that that we've seen and you know, other organizations have seen it as well is that you know, creating some form of divide between work and, and non-work when you're doing that all in the same the same environment. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and because the, that that device is going to be ever present and we've heard stories haven't we about people putting sort of tea towels over their over their laptop um so that it's it's disguised in in some way um and have you sort of seen that too is that something that you've you think has been a, a sort of an issue over the over the last year yeah absolutely and even from my own personal experience you know if I think about times where I've had my laptop on my desk I've had my work phone on my desk I've had my personal phone on my desk it's just a bit overkill like if I've got my laptop I don't need my work phone or my personal phone near me and so I at least try to leave my personal phone outside of the room that I am working in but I know it's not always possible for people to do that so uh, could you leave it in a drawer maybe under the covers of your bed you know where, wherever it is leave that phone outside of the room and I guess that's fine as long as you remember where you've put it so you're not spending the next <laughs> getting stressed about where you've hidden the phone um so given these adverse effects and I do think that is a striking experiment the the, the impact that had you know what are some of the things that we can do to become more sort of digitally robust or digitally resilient? Yeah, certainly. There's there's a few things that we can do. And the first one is is thinking about setting yourself some ground rules in terms of when you use your, your devices or your smartphone. So the classic example is people having rooms that are designated as smartphone-free rooms. Uh, so, for example, the bedroom. Uh, or the bathroom. <laughs> uh, others perhaps setting time around it. So for example, especially people with kids, uh, perhaps saying, you know, dinner time is a phone-free zone or after 8 p.m. phones go in a bucket and aren't looked at then until the next morning. The other thing that I think is really useful that you can do in terms of becoming a bit more digitally resilient is to re-look at your social media feed and to audit and curate it. So if you think about your Instagram feed, have a, a look through it, think about the people that you you follow and think, okay, so how does this feed make me feel? Does it make me feel happy? Does it make me feel angry? Does it make me feel sad? Does it make me feel hungry? <laughs> and have a think about how you react to that and whether it's right or not for you to continue following that feed. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I've never really sort of thought of apps in that way before. It's something with an emotional charge to them. Um, think of them as something neutral. But, you know, you, you say that and I'm sort of already thinking about apps and even actually different parts of apps and, and thinking of the, the reaction that that prompts. So that's, that, that's fascinating, you know, how we can have that, how that we can have that connection. Yeah. So we're curating it, but you know, are there other other things we can do? You know, are there kind of sort of apps that can help us gain control? So apps to control other apps, like sheepdog apps. You there know? are apps to control other apps. So yeah, there there are a lot of different apps out there that can help you with that. Some of them are inbuilt, for example, Screen Time on your your iPhone uh, that can set limits for you. Uh, and but there's there's also other more innovative apps. For example, I think one called forest that plants a tree uh, and you see this little virtual tree grow but it only grows whilst the app is open and if you close the app the tree dies and so the idea is you've got that app open you obviously can't use your your phone or any other apps in it well like so, so it's actually giving you it's sort of it's a sense of guilt if you, if you don't do it you, <laughs> yeah. you, you've killed a forest somewhere you've, you've killed the trees um that's right there's a bit of positive reinforcement going on there <laughs> 
Um, and then the the last tip uh, that I've got there, and this is an interesting one, it's not for everybody, but is maybe giving a digital detox a go, maybe for a day, uh, maybe for a weekend, or, or if you really are quite attached to your smartphone, maybe it's just going out for a walk without it. Mm. So, 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 Nicola, tell me, have you done a digital detox either of yeah a few hours or a few days? Is that something that you've tried? Um, I, I have actually. Uh, so I, I do often go out without my phone. Um, although I actually did manage to lock myself out of my house once without my phone, so uh, that was great. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I have actually done holidays where I've I've digitally detoxed for for about um, three or four days. I've mm. turned the uh, airplane mode onto my phone. Uh, which turns it into a camera. Um, so that's that's what we should be doing, and you're kind of blazing a trail there with your with, with your detox. Um, but these changes, you know, how hard are they to do in practice, and are there sort of trip hazards we should be aware of? What's going to stop us from doing this? Good question, because how many times have you tried to use this limiting technology, for example, the screen time, and the apps popped up and said, Nicola, you've been on Instagram for 30 minutes. That's your limit for today. Stop using it. And I press ignore. <laughs> so whilst the limiting apps can be useful, unless I address the underlying cause and have some tactics in place, I'm going to keep pressing that ignore button when the notification comes up. You might know from popular media that the reason this happens is a neurotransmitter called dopamine, which is linked to reward. And this is released when we do a behavior which benefits our our survival. So for example, eating fatty foods or getting social kudos like a like. And this rewards our brain and makes us want to do the behavior again. It's a really powerful motivator. Knowing all this, how habits form is then quite easy to understand. So you have a cue. For example, I feel bored. We have a routine uh, that we then do, which is the behavior itself. So for example, I pick up my phone and check Instagram. And then we have the reward. So that's that payoff, that um, that dopamine hit that means we repeat the pattern uh, in, in future. So that cue, the routine, and then the the reward that we get. And that's why uh, when we get that, you've reached your limit on on social media because we wanna keep getting that little dopamine hit and that reward, uh, our brain just ignores it. Okay, so that that sounds like a a difficult sort of cycle to to break out of. So are are there ways that that we can do that? Yeah, there, there are a couple of ways, actually. And uh, one of the, the first way that I wanted to talk about was uh, this, this way you can create an if-then scenario. And what this means is you put something in place, which means you have an alternate behavior to that cue. And you still get some kind of reward. So what I'm talking about is if the cue, which in the example I used was boredom, Uh, appears my then scenario is rather than picking up my phone which I would have done I will pick up my knitting needles (laughs) and because I enjoy knitting Mm -hmm. 
I'm still going to get a hit of dopamine from that. But that's that's the trick, right? You have to enjoy it. So even if you hate knitting, uh, that's not what you should replace your then scenario with. To, to be fair, I've never tried it. So, so <laughs> who knows? This could be this, this could be the start of a, a, a new passion. But the thing is, it's having that in place beforehand. So having that that sort of scenario yeah. there. It's having it in place beforehand, and it's having a reward as well. That behavior needs to be rewarding. The other way, which is also complementary to, to the if-then scenario, is to create what's been dubbed as a speed bump, um, or actually also known as, as friction. So this is where uh, our, we stop our habits from being so automatic because we make it more difficult. So a really simple example here is uh, my, my cue is, is, is boredom. Uh, the the behavior is is picking up the phone and picking up the phone is super easy right because it's just there like you know even your face unlocks the phone you don't even need to press anything but what if you put something physical on your phone which created a, a barrier or a speed bump to it and I'm talking about the simplest thing ever which is putting either a rubber band or a hair tie around your phone which creates this physical barrier which breaks that cycle and your brain kind of kicks into gear and says, oh, do I actually want to pick up my phone or am I just bored? And then you can decide whether you're picking your phone up for a valid reason. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the, um, yeah, you talk about the, the, the rubber band there. It's the same with the facial recognition with a, um, with a mask, isn't it? You suddenly sort of pick it up and it doesn't recognize you because you've, uh, you've got the mask on. And there is that kind of instant where you think, yeah, do I really want to open my phone? Yeah, do I want to go back to the to the passcode, uh, etc. So I think it's a really interesting area. This this stuff around, you know, creating some some I guess some some friction in terms of the bad habits, but also making, you know, if you're trying to instill new behaviours, making them as frictionless as as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, trying to make those those alternate behaviors much easier so for example maybe leaving my knitting needles out on the table so that they're easy to pick up uh, and work with as my as easy as my phone is to pick up to be fair Nicola that sounds like an accident waiting to happen you know some kind of stabbing uh, accident with the the knitting needles Um, um so right I'm I've got a confession to make I'm the kind of person who likes to look at my phone uh, before going to, before going to sleep I have a suspicion that you're going to say that that's not a particularly good thing to do am I right there spot on I think we all know by now that the blue light from our phones and devices is inhibiting our sleep and it's because it's telling us it's not nighttime, so our usual processes which trigger sleepiness doesn't happen. And uh, interestingly, Matthew Walker, who's the author of Why We Sleep, ran an experiment where he kept adults in an experimental setting for, for two weeks, which is fascinating in itself, um, where they had five days reading from a, a paper book or five days reading from an iPad for several hours before bed. And the iPad reduced melatonin release by 50% compared to the paper book, which is just crazy. Um, and what, what's even more worrying is that it delayed sleep by, on average, about three hours, 
Um, but also participants lost um, REM sleep, so rapid eye movement sleep, um, which is, is linked to kind of uh, sort of refreshing the brain. Uh, they felt less rested and sleepier, of course you would when you, you woke up. And actually the effect lingered as well. So there was 90 minutes um, delay in, in rising melatonin levels several days after the iPad use had ceased. Uh, yeah, I think one of the, the things that's interesting there, Nicola, is that you know with the with the, like Apple Watches and Fitbits now, uh, which can which can measure your sleep, it's almost an experiment you could you could do on yourself is to you know sort of read a book one night, measure your sleep, look at your phone the next, see if there's any see if there's any difference. I guess there's other things that come into play, but you know you could do a bit of, uh, of self analysis with your with your own device. Yeah, I think that'd be really interesting to figure out. So, so Nicola, final question. If there's one change that you'd recommend everyone to make, uh, what would that be? Can I say two? Um, I thought you might say that, and yes, of course, you can, you <laughs> they're can have easy, two. They're two easy ones. My, my two big asks would be, firstly, take off the autoplay from your streaming accounts. Uh, they make it really hard for you to do so, but if you Google it, uh, there, there's some instructions to, to take those off. Um, that changed my life. And the second one, which I'm guessing is not going to come as a surprise to anybody, but please buy an alarm clock. So the first thing that you don't look at when you go to bed and wake up is your phone. And what, what a deliciously retro uh, suggestion. Uh, to... That's coming from a millennial as well. <laughs> <laughs> So Nicola, thank you very much for, for joining me in the Ideas Foundry. Thanks for having me, Ian. Um, and I do feel inspired now to go and make some of those changes that you know I've been contemplating but have never got round to doing. So thank you for that, Nicola. Um, and for those of you who would like to explore things in more depth, we have added some resources and links to the to the show notes. And we look forward to seeing you again at the Ideas Foundry soon. And if there are topics you'd like us to discuss, or indeed if you'd like to join us on the podcast, contact me at ian.rodwell at linklaters.com. So goodbye. Goodbye.